didn't really understand this whole property game. But what really connected with me was the fact that it wasn't going to take a lot of my time and time was really a priority for me. But from what I understood, the returns were going to be lucrative enough to be able to help us get rid of our mortgage, which that was really tying us or to me to have to work full time. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, hello, everyone. So we're back with another episode of She Renovates. And today I want to introduce you to a very special guest in Amanda McEwen. Now, Amanda is the founder and the educator at the Rising Star Developer. Now, she became a property developer to be her own boss, to earn a decent income and to get control over her time after the arrival of her third child. Now, Amanda had three children in two and a half years. So she is a wonder woman in the full sense of the word. Since then, she's created over $33 million worth of property, built over 66 homes and generated a six-figure profit annually and over seven figures in total in less than eight years. Now, I also noticed that Amanda banked a seven-figure profit from a project just recently. So she's a rock star in the full sense of the word. She has educated more than 10,000 people and provided specialised guidance to 500-plus students through her signature program, The Rising Star in a Circle. So welcome, Amanda, and I'm really excited to have you here because most renovators think about development somewhere along the line and I think you're the perfect person to share the uh, joy and the challenges of developing. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. So could I ask you how you got on the development journey? Now, I know that you wanted to free yourself from the chains that a nine-to-five job provides, but what was the path that you took? Yeah, sure. So my journey in property, I started quite late, actually. So it wasn't until the arrival of my third child that I even opened my mind to the concept of creating wealth through property. And so that was back in 2010. My husband actually said to me after the arrival, so picture this, I've got a newborn, a 15-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old jumping in bed behind me. And my husband goes, why don't we invest in property? I'm going, what? I don't think you're tired. I must have just given him a death stare because that shut the conversation down. But when I had to go back to work, I had to think, okay, well, I didn't want to keep putting all my children in childcare and miss out on the best moments of their day. So that really just launched me into finding a solution. And property connected with me because it was tangible. I could touch and feel it. And and it was like, it makes sense. Whereas shares, it's, it's so scary and you don't really have a lot of control over that. So that really started me off in property and I started off just the buy and hold investor, like I think most people tend to do in property development. What I worked out with that is that was more of a retirement strategy as opposed to a lifestyle strategy and wasn't going to get me out of my job anytime soon. So we'd purchased three properties in that 
couple of years and then hit the glass ceiling, banks glass ceiling. So I thought, okay, I'm still at work. I'm still dropping my kids off to childcare. What next? So then I actually dabbled into renovation. So I did a few renos of units. I renoed and flipped them. I'd sort of get into a bar unit, renovate it in four weeks, flip it, and then I'd be selling it. And it was fun as it's uh, seeing this ugly duckling turn into this beautiful swan. But it was also really hands-on because I had to go, I was still juggling my work and then juggling my little kids and then also going and renovating a unit before and after work. So I, I was even busier and I got some returns. I was you know, 20K here, 50K here, 80K there. But it wasn't life-changing enough for me to have the comfort, comfort to say goodbye to my job. And as I was educating myself, as I went along that journey, I, I was trying to find renovation deals. And so I invested in myself with an educator who could help me find deals off market. And through that, I got exposed to property development. And at the time I thought, hang on a second, I can, who am I to do property development? I'm a, a mum to three little girls. I'd renovated like three or four units. I wasn't didn't really understand this whole property game. But what really connected with me was the fact that it wasn't going to take a lot of my time and time was really a priority for me. But from what I understood, the returns were going to be lucrative enough to be able to help us get rid of our mortgage, which that was really tying us or to me to have to work full time. And it almost felt like the planets had aligned and I finally found this strategy that was going to have the impact on my life that I needed it to. And so then I invested $40,000 to learn how to do property development, which I didn't have. We drew down on our mortgage to do that. And as I do, anytime I invest in myself, I always go, okay, look, I want a 10 times return on any education investment that I put in there. And that was, so I was saying, hang on a second, 10 times return on, on $40,000 in a couple of years. It's a lot. But I held myself to that. And then we ended up finding our first deal, a development deal off market. And it ended up, it was supposed to be just a simple renovation at the front, a hammerhead at the back and build one at the back. But due to the circumstances of the owner, they had to leave or they said, oh, look, can you take the whole site? And it ended up being a five-site development for my very first project. And fortunately, I was part of a, a group there that I, I learned the basics, but I made sure I surrounded myself with a team to help me navigate that. And that first project, back from 15 months from when I invested in myself in that education to learn how to do property development, my first deal, I banked $447,000 in that very first deal. And that wow. took a huge chunk out of our mortgage. And I was doing a renovation at the time. I don't know how the hell I did it. Three little kids renovating and doing this development, but you do what you do, don't you? And then I also found another deal during that time which banked six weeks after that very first deal and banked another 187000 So I went from being tied to my job, big fat mortgage, to within 15 months being able to say, look, I'm leaving my job now. And we cleared our mortgage because we banked $680,000 in that within 18 months of educating ourselves, which is just insane. And then from that time, it just went on a J-curve and skyrocketed from then because I then had the confidence to start doing more deals, but then also leveraging joint venture partners and investors. And that enabled me to do multiple projects. And since that time, so my, I backed my first deal in 2015. So not really that long ago. I started in late 2013. And so from 2015 to now, I've actually now completed over 70, created 70 homes doing development across 19 projects now worth $43 million. And those numbers still blow my mind. I sort of think, is that somebody else talking? Because 
all I wanted to do at the time was to get rid of my mortgage, be able to leave my job, be able to work from home so I could be around for my little kids. And the rest just unfolded from there, which it's quite incredible. So that's a snapshot of my story. Amazing. And so when did Rising Star come about? So I actually launched Rising Star Developer in March of 2020, right when COVID hit. So it was an idea that had been brewing away for a couple of years because I had many people who were seeing the success that I'd had and were asking me how I was doing it. And and I thought, okay, well, I, I thought, okay, well, people are asking me, there must be a need for this type of education. So then I educated myself about how to create education, as I always do. And I started creating an online program in 2019, which I finally ended up launching when COVID hit. And it was a crazy time, right? Because I was juggling four projects at the time and um, and I'd launched this new business. And so from March, 2020 to now, I've, I've been, I'm so grateful. I've got over 500 students inside the inner circle who have learning how to do property development. But what I'm most amazed about is each year I do a, a six and seven figure club. So anyone that's banked a six figure profit or a seven-figure profit in the, the past 12 months, we celebrate them because it's important to celebrate success when you're, a, when you're a solopreneur. Um, and the first year I had five people that joined the six-figure club after just only launching it 12 months before. And then this year, this year we had another five join and our first seven-figure per, um, awesome. person. Up. So that is what inspires me. And, and just be able to know that by sharing what I do and I'm in the trenches now doing deals and it's great like banking profits in my development business but when you see the difference that it makes in other people's lives by sharing your knowledge and you'd know this as well Bernadette from what you do but to hear people around you being able to pay off their mortgages and be able to um, have choices where they stay at work Um, I had a mum who was through maternity leave and invested in herself and she's now doing two or three projects and she didn't have to go back to work after um, maternity finished because this is what this business enabled for her and and that's what's that's what inspires me now so I love doing projects and I generally always have three to four projects on the go and with development it, it generally takes you and, and you're going to go roll everyone will roll their eyes when they when I hear this but typically maybe three to five hours a week maybe 10 on a busy week but that's yeah. all I spend in my development business running four projects um, and the rest of my time is spent doing rising side developer understanding this whole world of online education and marketing and and supporting my students so it's on a big growth path with that as I know awesome. you very much understand that yeah they I think the thing that comes to mind when you're talking is how they say if you want something done ask a busy person to do it because yeah. seriously yeah you're a dynamo oh well I, I yeah I jam as much in my busy my hours and and look um I actually did a planning session on Monday um following on from a mutual educator that we have around life planning and I've always been a big planner um because we can get more money right but we can't get more time and so I'm really really ruthless when it comes to planning my time and making sure that um, the time that I'm spending is helping me achieve all the different facets of my life and financial is only one small component of it you would know the concept of the wheel of life where you factor all the different components of your life um, and I'm a big advocate for that and so I just make sure that I plan my year ahead I put all my personal my big rocks in there all the things that are important to me about life because yeah. Rising Star Developer, our motto is about building lifestyle. Um, yeah. And you 
through small scale property development, we'll get the money to be able to have choices to how we spend our lifestyle. So everything I do, every decision I make is making sure that I'm factoring in the lifestyle side of it. So we all have the same 24 hours in a day. It just depends on what we choose to allocate our time. Absolutely. And so with, I just want to change it up a gear. With development, there are, well, like with any property strategy, particularly with development, there are a lot of pitfalls for newbies. Absolutely. I, we bought a, a site in Queensland, a, a splitter block in Queensland a couple of years ago, bought through a really reputable agent, but we realised after we bought it that we had a major problem in that where we were going to put the driveway was where the telecommunications pit was. And fortunately, we navigated that quite well because we got onto it early and got it sorted out. And to be honest with you, TPG slipped up. Yeah. And But I just thought, what, if someone was doing this that didn't know, didn't have a clue, that could be like devastating and just write off the whole project. So what I would like to know from you is where do you think the, the key areas, the stressors are with development what are the where are the areas where you can most commonly slip up and how do you avoid that yeah I think it all starts with your feasibility right the numbers drive your decisions so when we're looking for a project the first 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 cut first pass is your feasibility so if you don't know how to what the numbers look like on a deal. So when you buy a deal, as you would do with renovation, right, you you build up your numbers to make sure that it's going to be worth your time and your money to be able to go with that deal. And same with, with development, right? So what your purchase price is or the development cost, what you're going to sell the product for. And unless there's a decent margin in there with a, a decent contingency, you just don't bother because it's too it's not worth the time yeah. or the risk. So definitely your feasibility is number one, the, your first cut. And then your second cut is then doing all your due diligence on the little things that can trip you up, like what you just mentioned. So mm. what I do is I give my students a checklist when they're doing their site due diligence, which they do in parallel. So like I don't even bother going out to look at a site unless the numbers stack up first. And then if yeah. that happens, then I might get in the car and drive and go and see the site. Yeah. And that's the time when I'll go and look at the detail. And you don't have to actually go to site. You can even just do it on Google Maps. But that's when I'm looking for the things like the Telstra pits and the street trees and and the slope of the block and all those little things that might trip you up in a deal. That's the next phase of, of the assessment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and once all those major major hurdles are done, then it's like, okay, well, let's let's just fine-tune more about what we're going to create and yeah. do we understand what the market wants and, and then fine-tune our product. So it, that's the sort of key process that I follow. But one thing that I, when I teach my students, I'm married to a really, really risk-averse husband, right? He drives me absolutely nuts with the amount of questions he throws at me about it with the project. So I think, okay, well, I've got to get this deal past his, his the, the floodgates there, his gates, and he'll, he'll throw all these challenges at me and, and I'll just go, just, let's just buy the site. I'm really excited about the site. And he's like, no, Amanda, have you done this? Have you done, have you done that? And as frustrating as it can be, right, we have plenty of heated discussions, um, it means that I've really had to dot my I's and cross my T's with all my projects. And I now, ironically, much to, to his satisfaction, is that that's how I teach. So yeah. every single module that I teach online, and even when I'm having conversations, it's always risk first, profit second. 
how can we minimize the risk in our in our planning, in our in our purchasing, in our building, in our design, in our settlements. So there's five key areas, and when and I teach the key risks to be aware of when you're doing a deal. And there'll be other things that pop out as well. But if you have the the key risks ticked off, then that's going to put you in a really good position to you know, get into that deal with majority of those risks managed. And you can't you yeah. can't manage every risk, but the majority have, have been ticked off. Yeah. Awesome. So since COVID, the the supply, the cost and availability of trades and materials mm-hmm. has been challenging for the construction industry. Yeah. How have you navigated these challenges? That's a great question. And it has been, it's been such a fascinating ride to reflect on the last two years or just even through how the market responded to COVID, right? Like, what I was amazed with during COVID was then or what gave me a lot of faith in what we do as a business and the industry we work in is how construction was deemed an essential service during during that crazy time. And I thought, hang on a second, like you, you heard about hospitality and travel and all these industries being shut down and construction still kept going. I thought, hang on a second, that's pretty amazing. We're involved in an industry that is really prioritised in terms of crisis. But then, of course, what unfolded, the government splashed a lot of cash, as we know, and then there's all the incentives to build and then prices skyrocketed and the supply was short and it's been a really, really bumpy ride. But how I navigated that is, and I, regardless of the market, I always factor in contingency when I do my feasibility. So so that was swallowed up based on my when I was doing my feasibilities. But what also is happening during that time, as you'd know, so there was certainly the prices of materials was going up but so too was the end sales price so I had one project which I purchased during COVID and we did our feasibility and our build costs ended up coming in during that time I reckon it was about 15 to 20k per house it was a foresight and and at the time I was sort of going oh god okay still there was enough fat in there to weather that but then what happened? So these four properties, the original feasibility on three of them was for nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars to sell them, right? And then mm-hmm. and then we had to navigate the, the t- project construction time took longer, and we we had a few variations to try and navigate through that time with our builder. But those properties end up selling for one point one, one point two, one point three, and then another one Amazing. sold. For- nearly 1.5. So our project went from a six-figure profit to a very healthy seven-figure profit during that time where the build costs were going up, when there were labour labor issues, supply issues. So yes, we had a lot of challenges with that project, but it's ended up being my most profitable project yet. And I banked that, excuse me, I banked that last week. And yeah, it's been incredible. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, I, navigate, so I guess it answers that question too. So how I navigated that was... Firstly, I have contingency in my feasibilities. Secondly, I worked very closely with the builder to manage the challenges that they were experiencing. So rather than being really strict with them, builders have had a really, really tough time in the last couple of years. I've worked very closely with my builder to respectfully manage the timelines for our project. So understanding the challenges that they're going through, but also them understanding the challenges that we're facing as well. And, and that, that's part of, you mentioned earlier, relationships are so key in in business and life really, and certainly in, in a development project, it's really yeah. important. And so do you have a benchmark profit margin that you target? 
No, yeah, I do. So I wouldn't touch any project below 15% profit on cost. Okay. So that is the bare minimum. And that's just a starting point. So yeah, that way, at least you've got plenty of fat in there to whether, and that's the benchmark, but then I've got contingency also elsewhere as well. Yeah. But yeah, so I look at it. So that's a primary driver and that I found that, and I've always done that and my profit margin. And sometimes I may have a project for, due to curveballs might end up being coming in a bit lower than that. But over every single project that I've ever done across the 19 projects, I've never lost money. I've always banked a six-figure profit. And I've had projects where the feasibility might have started off at, say, $380,000 and end up at, say, two fifty dollars or two hundred. dollars But yeah. yeah, it sucked that I lost one hundred eighty dollars but I'm still banking yeah. $200,000. So Absolutely. I'm okay yeah. with that. So, yeah. so it's, it's, it's never a set in stone, but that's my first cut. And then it would generally always go up and down from there. And so what would be the time, like the timeline of a typical development that you do? Yeah, so I'm based in Adelaide. So Adelaide, every single state really varies, as your renovators would know, if you're doing structural renos, how long things take. So my, most of my projects tend to take, oh, I'd say on average, about 18 months from settlement to settlement. So when we settle on the land, when we settle on the final home, I've had many that have 11 to 15 months, probably majority of my projects have been around that time frame. Um, but yeah, typically typically around the 18 months, they might get pushed to a two year time frame if you're caught in like COVID or other challenge around. So yeah, my worst, I think my worst one was about two and a half year. That's probably my longest project, but typically around the 18 month mark is what I, what I budget. Yeah, awesome. So just back to the builders again now, I don't know, I watch a lot of Facebook groups and I notice now this is probably more about renovating, but I think with developing, getting the right builder is probably even more critical. Yeah. yeah. So how like can you provide some tips on how you go about choosing the right person? Absolutely. And I think, and I talk around building your A-team, right? So whether it's your designer or your builder or your accountant or whatever, you always want to make sure you're choosing the best people around you. And you are very right in that build, you choose your choice of builder, a bit like your choice of a joint venture partner, a bit like the choice of your life partner, right? You want to make sure otherwise choose the wrong one and you're in for a bumpy ride. So with builders, particularly in the last few years, right, with the pressures of the market causing a number of builders to go under and that creates a whole lot of stress in itself. Even outside of the last couple of years, I have a quite a strict process that I follow with my builders. Probably the, there's a couple of key metrics that I focus on. So firstly, when I'm, I always do my due diligence on a builder, just like I would on a project. So I want to know to make sure that the builder produces a quality product because when I create a product, I'm putting my business name to it and I want to be proud of what I create. So I want to work with a builder that's not going to cut corners. I have a philosophy where it's a, a champagne taste on a beer budget, probably a bit like a renovation, right? So I want yeah. to use the best product quality, best looking product, but not at the expensive cost. So so I, I, I don't never want to go cheap, but I want to make sure it's quality. Yeah. Um, and so choosing builders that produce a quality product. So I go and look at their product. I always reference check them. I make sure that I speak to people who are building with them and who have already finished building with them and understand what their experience is. Because I want to make sure that when you're doing a build, it can take anywhere from six to 12 months 
to do a build. And that means you're in a relationship with that person for that length of time. And there's always going to be challenges when you're doing a build, as you with the renovation. So you want to make sure you can have a, you're, you're choosing a builder where you can have those uncomfortable conversations respectfully and be comfortable that you can trust your builder to do the best thing by you and your project. So I do that. I, I interview them like I would if I was in, bringing on an employee. I, I go and have a look at their product. I drive past their sites and see the quality of their sites. Are they, do they look like an absolute tip or are they tidy? How are they managing it? I'll go and speak to their trades because trades love chat, as you would know from yeah. renovation, right? So, and words on the street all the time. You have a shitty trade or a shitty builder. Trades love talking about that sort of stuff. So I'll go, hey, go on this uh, project. Is a builder paying? And what sort of, so you just work out to that. And then I all, and then the next criteria. So firstly, equality of their the builds. Secondly, whether they're the sort of person they've got the, the skills that you can communicate well with them and have a relationship through that project. And then thirdly, which is probably really important based on the last couple of years, is a financial viability of a builder, making sure they've got the finances to be able to go the term of your project. So with that, you can speak to, speak to um, trades because when you hear builders going under, right, people have been talking about them typically for quite a bit of time before it gets in the media. So you generally have an idea of builders that might be in a bit of strife before it goes under, if you've got your finger on the pulse. And then also, if I'm speaking to a builder, a letter from the accountant. Give me the letter from the accountant to make sure that you're financially viable. Or can you give me some confidence in your financial viability, managing the cash flow of your business correctly? Because the last couple of years, has if, if, if you've got a builder that hasn't been able to manage their cash flow properly, that's why people have been sinking because... With the delays of trades being available and materials being available, there's been a lot of projects that have slowed down. A lot of builders had to carry a lot of cost. Mm-hmm. And with all these, and if they're in fixed price contracts, they haven't been able to push that onto there. And that's if they haven't got the cash flow to be able to manage that, that's where it's really caused a lot of issues. So I'm always having conversations with my builders. And whenever I chat, whenever I meet a builder, tell me about how are things going in the market? How are you navigating these challenges? You know, just as you would with the renovation, just have have yep. conversations with people, ask some questions. The more you get different perspectives from different builders, the better informed you are as well. Yep, excellent. And is there a like a strategy that you think is the sweet spot with developing? Like you knew one into two, one into three, one yeah. into four. What What is it that you think, particularly for someone new starting, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think would be the best place for them to start? So with my students, I always say start small. Let's, let's uh, walk before we can run. So, and small might be, I've got some students who are just building a single house, right? And they're making some good cash with that. And, or some people doing duplexes. Duplex can be a bit trickier to make money on, but it depends. There's no one size fits all in development because it depends on your area, your build costs, your end sales prices like your feasibility. So it comes down to what your risk profile is. Like, do you feel comfortable doing a single site or a two site or a three site? What's your financial capacity to do a deal? Um, do you, Can you do a deal in your own right? Or do you need to leverage money partners to be able to get into a deal as well? But I always suggest, let, let's just start by doing a two, three sites perhaps first. And then, I mean, look, there's the same process whether you're doing a three site or a 10 site, to be honest with you, but yeah. it's a little bit, little bit less risk. So once again, risk first, profit second, let's do something a bit smaller to start off with, even just doing a, 
a, like you've done a, a Renault and a hammerhead and build one at the back or uh, do a land split and just flick off the land, get some money coming in, get some confidence. Yeah, it comes down to each person's individual risk profile, but definitely start small because what you're going to find once you get that first run on the board, your confidence just goes up provided you've made sure you've educated yourself and you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Then once you've got runs on the board, then your capacity to be able to leverage money partners and do multiple deals at once. And that's when the the game really changes when you can start banking multiple six-figure profits in a year. Uh, That's where you land financial freedom and your financial capacity changes very quickly. Absolutely. And so what are your goals with um, Rising Star Developer moving forward? So it's it's ever evolving. So I'll always be a developer because I'll even just tinker around doing a one or two site, but I'll always be in the trenches doing a developer. With the rising star, I will always educate in some way. So my goal isn't to grow rising star into this massive big coaching empire. I just want to help small groups of people because you've got to remember, this is a lifestyle business for me. So I'm very always conscious of walking the talk, right? So So my vision is to still, I only take on small groups of people every single year. Um, and I'm now even narrowing that down further and I'm interviewing people to make sure that I'm getting the right people into the community that are actually ready to take the education on and do something with it. Because in the nature of education games, it saddens me when people invest in themselves and they do nothing with it. So I take on small groups of people that I can really help and make a difference in their lives. And then I'm about to also create a mastermind program for people who want that next level of support. So, so my, my thoughts, my strategy tweaks every single year, but at the heart of it, it's to try and help. Uh, my goal is to help a thousand people pay off their mortgages and reach their version of financial independence in the next 10 years. That's where my broader strategy of, of, rising star developer is and the nuts and bolts evolves as it goes along but yeah I my as I evolve as a coach because I've only been doing this for two and a half years so I'm learning a lot as well I am finding that the more people that I can help even just being on platforms like this right just opening people's minds educating them um, the more people that I can help change their financial circumstances that then enables them to be able to pay it forward and help other people too so yeah while I'm inspired and um, feel like I can make a difference, yeah, I'll keep uh, pursuing this business. Beautiful. And you do have a podcast too, Amanda? I do, So, which I've yeah. just interviewed you about. So your, yes. your listeners can, can listen to Bernadette as well. So my podcast is called Building Lifestyles. So I, I interview people such as Bernadette, so experts in the field around property development and in property and also interview students and people from different walks of life who have used property development and really made changes in their lives. So I had I interviewed my husband this week as well and he gave his experience about about finance as well. So really all different facets of property, anything that I think people will benefit and learn, I interview them. So it's a lot of fun. Beautiful. And just a question I should have asked you earlier, your husband, what's his name and what does he do? Does he... Is he a home husband or? No, he's out of the home, which is great because I work from home. So I've got the space to myself most of the day, which is lovely. So no, he he works in finance. So okay. that is his background. So he is a very numbers driven person and a very risk driven person. So he is very involved in the background of my businesses, uh, particularly in analysis developments. But he he works and he he's one of these guys that likes the safety of a traditional job. So that's his 
makeup and that's the way he is. So, so he does that. And then our property development business is his side gig. So I drive it all. I find the deals, I run the projects and he's like the special comments on the side, right? You know, the risk person and the gatekeeper and, and yeah, and we navigate it that way. It makes very interesting conversations around the dinner table. He sounds very much like my husband. Yeah. I, call him, I call Stephen Captain Negative because <laughs> the first thing he comes out of his mouth when I talk about a deal is what could go wrong, which I, I absolutely agree, but that, yeah. It drives but, you nuts. And, and it's, I think it's very common in a lot of, especially with my, a lot of my students as well, there tends to be the person like you and I who is motivated and optimistic and excited and go out there and do it. And then there's the, the risk-averse partner that sits at the back just going, oh, hang on a second, I'm not sure. And look, it, we have a lot of heated conversations. And, and what I find, though, as much as it can frustrate life out of me at the time I actually think it's a great dynamic because I lift him up from his safe little space and then he also pulls me back into a probably a, a safer space too and then that middle ground is a really incredible space to yeah. manage risk and also make profit so yes as, as I, much as I it completely can agree with you Amanda yeah, yeah. completely so for I, those of you I, risk averse husbands it's not all bad or partners <laughs> well. we still love you yeah. We still love you, yes. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks so much for sharing your magic with us. We'll include a link to the to your podcast so that people can go over and listen to that. And, yeah, yeah thank you. Absolutely. And if anyone wants to know more about Rising Star, I've got, you can check out my website, risingstardevelopher.com.au. I've got some great free web, webinars to go and watch. So have a look there. And yeah, I think if you can combine property development with renovating, wow, what a powerful strategy to put both of them together. So, and, and it's also the evolution of a property developer, right? So starting off yeah. investing, renovating and developing. So you've got the great core skills that uh, can help you take to the next level. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Bernadette. Thank you. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.